Computer, initialize Holosuite. And welcome to another episode of The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Perry. And I'm your host, David. Tonight we're talking about Season 2, Episode 2, The Circle. Before we continue, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. Absolutely, and you guys should absolutely follow us as well, because we have a lot of fun on our various social medias. Um, and now, before we get into the episode, uh, as always, I'd like to update everybody. I, the, the Star Trek housekeeping, as I like to call it. Um, so, yes, now officially, all Star Trek is on Paramount+. Plus. Um, DS9, TNG, both still on Netflix. They have not announced yet when they're going to be pulling those. But as the subscription service for Netflix has increased its price, probably here pretty soon, you'll want to migrate over anyway if you're a fan of Trek. And want to watch all the old stuff, the classic Trek, along with all the new Trek that's coming out. Um, Star Trek Picard uh, drops its new season, I believe, here in February. I believe the new season comes out here in February, uh, season two. And they've announced that uh, season two drops, and then they've already started production on season three of Picard. And Mm. they've also announced that season three will be the final season of Star Trek Picard. They'll be wrapping it up. I believe this is probably because Patrick Stewart is 81 years old and (laughs) probably wants to do other things besides being committed to a full show run in his 80s, as he currently is. So, um, yeah, they were saying that season three will be it for that show, at least in that iteration. There has been talk of some of the other characters doing their own, you know, continuing on, but it won't be Star Trek Picard anymore. Right. That's all like way out there in the future, so don't worry about that. Um, Star Trek Strange New Worlds, which will be featuring the crew of the Enterprise under Captain Christopher Pike, will uh, the first season of that drops in March. And um, I'm actually looking forward to that. I really enjoyed the Christopher Pike character when they re- debuted him on um, Star Trek Discovery. Right. So you can look forward to that show coming out. Um, Star Trek Prodigy is uh, currently running, but I believe they finished their season also in March. So when Prodigy ends, I believe Strange New World should be picking up. Lower Decks is also supposed to return in April, I believe. So uh, again, a lot of Star Trek that's going to be on. And also... I was going to say, how many shows do we got to work with here? Right. (laughs) Well, and also I was going to say, Star Trek Discovery returns from its mid-season break in April. So in April alone... With the projected schedule the way that it will be, you will be able to watch Strange New Worlds, Discovery, Lower Decks, and I believe the last the last episode of Prodigy for the season will air gotcha. in that month. So a lot of Trek. Wow. A lot of Trek that you get to watch, in addition to all the classics that you love <laughs> being on uh, Paramount+. Plus. So uh, I would strongly suggest checking them out. I have actually was re-watching Picard um, a couple days ago, and... It's great. I, I there's, there's so much about the show that I appreciate now in the second watch that I didn't the first time through. But um, yeah, so check that out. Okay. Uh, David, do you have any uh, stuff that you want to update us on before we dive into Deep Space Nine? Not much. Unfortunately, my picking up my bike has been delayed. I had to be at work this week when I was going to pick it up. That was my fault. I needed to be at work. Uh, so I misscheduled picking it up, and then I have to be at work again this week when I would have picked it up, but I might get it this week on a different day. Or, I don't know. I, At this point, it's me who doesn't have the bike, not them not getting it to me. So I find that hilarious. I waited over two months to get this thing, and now it's been several weeks, and I still haven't got it myself. But that's the way life works. So, Well, stop being lazy and go get your bike. <laughs> All right, that's all there is to it. That's it. So yep. next episode, we expect to hear that you not only have got the bike, but you've also done at least at least two good rides. All right, on it. So there you go. 
But all right. We're not here to talk about any of that other stuff. We're here to talk about Star Trek Deep Space Nine Season 2, Episode 2, The Circle. Now, this will be a continuation of last week's episode, of course, where we got introduced to a whole host of new characters like Minister Jero Essa, Lee Nallis, and we saw a return of a couple of, of uh, favorites like uh, Vedic Barile. Okay, so, no, in this he, episode... He shows up in this episode. He didn't show up uh, in last one. Could have swore. Either way, he's there. <laughs> keep, going, the keep going. Keep so going. So now, to recap, well, I'll try to hit just the highlights because there is a lot that goes on in this episode. So uh, just stay tuned. Anything we miss in the recap, again, go watch it. You'll know all the other details uh, and so forth. But here it is. So the episode starts in uh, Cisco's office. He is talking to Minister uh, Jaro, which it almost feels like it's a continuation of the last scene from the last episode where they announced right. that Kira was no longer going to be the first officer. She was being replaced by Navark Lee Nollis, uh -huh. recently liberated from prison camp Navark Lee Nollis. Yes. Cisco's a little bit upset by this because, you know, he had already formed a relationship with Kira, and while he's not necessarily mocking Lee, he feels like he should have at least been consulted when they were going to be removing an officer under his command. Jaro accurately points out that, you know, Starfleet doesn't, you know, consult the Bajoran uh, government whenever they're going to reassign an officer, so they don't really have to do the same thing to them. Right. Cisco has to agree, but still, he's just kind of like, you know, it's Cisco, so he, he feels like he should know everything. Right. Um, Cisco still kind of takes umbrage with the whole situation, but he's like, but uh, Jaro's like, well, this is a promotion for Kira. And so Cisco's like, again, you know, if this is a promotion, I don't want to stand in the way of her career, but again, y'all should have consulted me. <laughs> um, Jaro leaves, but then Cisco is interrupted by his son, who is telling him to hurry up and get to his quarters. He goes to his quarters, and on their door is the symbol for the circle. So it's kind of like one of those, you know, before, when we saw this in the last episode, it was in a low security area. Right. Now it's on the station commander's front door. Right. So big step up from low security random spot in the station to his quarters. Right. Um. After that, we see Kira in her quarters. She is packing to leave because, again, she does not work there anymore. She has to go back to Bajor. Right. Um, she's interrupted by Odo, who comes in, and he's quite upset that she's leaving. They start to kind of get into it a little bit, and he's just like, you know, you should stay. Fight for what you want. You've been doing good here. I don't want you to leave. She's like, don't worry about it. Lee Nellis is great. He can handle the job. All that kind of stuff. They're interrupted by Dax, who comes in under the pretense of returning some lotion. And uh, she's like, you know, I hope that you're, you have great success wherever you go, unless you want to stay. I can talk to Cisco. And Odo's kind of bickering back and forth with all this. They're now interrupted. So now we have Kira, Dax, Odo, interrupted by Dr. Bashir. Dr. Bashir comes in to wish Kira good luck. He's kind of confused by the exchange that's going on. Odo is still kind of berating her. Dax is asking your questions. The doctor's just kind of trying to be filled in. And then they're interrupted by O'Brien. O'Brien comes in <laughs> to do the same thing. Wish her, her his wish her his best. He, you know, much love, much success, all that kind of stuff. Asking more questions. Where are you going? Where are you going to be posted? All this kind of stuff. Right. She's kind of answering everybody in turn, very around Robin style, but she's getting Kira's getting frustrated with all the questions. And of course, with Odo kind of hawking her around the room as she's yes. doing as she's still kind of doing her her packing. They're then interrupted again by Quark, who comes in with a bottle of her favorite uh, Synthel, and uh, he's basically like, <laughs> I just thought this was going to be me and her. We'd have a shoulder to cry on, and who knows, something something Might may happen, happen. <laughs> insinuating some kind of sexual whatever may happen. While they're also asking questions, O'Brien is lost, so is the doctor. Everybody's trying to figure out what's going on, and still giving their input when they're interrupted again. This time by Vedic Barile, who yes. brings the whole thing to a close. All the chaos and to a he, conclusion. Yeah. And so he asks Kira that if she wants to, she can come and stay at the monastery for a while, figure out her next move in a place of peace. Right. Um, she doesn't really intimate whether or not she's going to take him up on this, but you kind of feel like that's where she's going to go. Um she goes back to Ops to say her final goodbye. She runs into Lee. Lee tells her how he didn't really, you know, anticipate this happening. He's sorry she's leaving. She's like, don't worry about it. You know, things happen, and I know that you can handle the job. 
and they part ways. She says goodbye to Cisco, who seems pretty upset that she's leaving. Right. Um, but there it is. She's gone. Right. Um, we next see Kira on Bajor. She's in the monastery, and she's been trying to relax but can't. Beryl is comes up with her, and he's asking her how she's adjusting, what's going on with her, all this kind of stuff. Um, but he's very, uh, I guess... I don't know how to describe it. He kind of creeped me out a little bit. And then, I mean, he was just like the way he was like kind of forcing himself with Kira. Like, you need to follow me and all this other kind of stuff. He leads her to this special room where there's an orb. Yes. It's one of the orbs from the prophets. And Kira is about to have her first orb experience, which is a very big deal for Bajorans. Right. And uh, so she does. She has a series of visions, which uh, it's kind of chaotic. We don't really know what's going on. Some of it could be seen as like what could be happening in the future. She's surrounded by other Vedics in the Vedic assembly. Uh, uh, Vedic Wynn is in the vision. And uh, there's also the whole her and Barayo appear to share a very intimate embrace, which I just didn't like because I just I don't like Barile. But anyway. Oh, okay. We'll we'll move we'll be back. To okay. That. Um we then go back to the station. We find Odo who's conferring with an old friend of his who's also in security, who's kind of giving him the lay of the land as to what's going on on Bajor, the turmoil and things like that. Um they, he is interrupted by Quark who comes in who is panicked. It's like we have to leave because he, Quark has found out that the, there's an alien race called the Krasari who are supplying weapons to the Bajoran cult group, the Circle, and right. that they've gotten, they're organized and they're ready to mobilize and move, and they're going to uh, wipe out anybody who is not a Bajoran. Right. And so Odo is just like, how do you know this? And he kind of tells him, you know, uh, his shady friends basically filled him in. Right. Um, um, they decide to then... Well, Odo blackmails Cork into being into, a deputy. Exactly. Yeah. And then Odo has to uh, arrange a way to investigate all of this. And that's why he also employs Cork because Cork's got enough shady dealings that he can find out some more answers. Right. Back, We go back to the planet. We see Kira and Beryl once again in the Arboretum of the monastery. Kira's very shaken from her Bajoran orb experience. She doesn't really want to tell Beryl what's what she experienced they start to hear what sounds like a storm in the background but kira recognizes it as weapons fire and as they're talking about it they're interrupted by vedic win vedic win who intimates that once again kira isn't there for any kind of spiritual guidance she's more brile's plaything right and uh it it was very very seedy which i mean vedic (laughs) win she's And then she also makes it clear that she's aware of Kira's um, orb experience and that they should have basically cleared it with the Vedic Assembly, which Barayal tells her, hey, you know, no one's ever done that before. There's never been any need, you know, but again, trying to show the clear distinction difference between the two of them, Barayal being very open and Vedic Win is very authoritative. Right. Um, Cisco, we then go back and we're with Cisco. And Cisco has gotten some information from Odo. He decides to go to Bajor. He uh, goes and meets with a member of the Bajoran militia, and he is trying to tell him about the Krasari potentially supplying weapons to the circle. Right. Um, the The military leader seems to be accepting of, of Cisco's information, but he's also kind of hesitant. Right. Um, yeah, what yeah. Cisco realizes that the general is intentionally pulling back his troops to avoid actual confrontations with the circle with other Bajorans, right? Yes, because yeah, and so yeah. that kind of leads Cisco to realize, oh, there's something. Like, if, if the military doesn't support the Bajoran provincial government, then the government will fall. Mm-hmm. So, like, he needs this. This general needs to take a stand one way or the other. We're not sure where he goes or where he's at at the moment, but. Mm-hmm. Um, he also wants to ask if Kira could be reassigned to him. And the general says, well, I have no authority over that. Only uh, Minister Jaro does. Jaro. But he says, you know what? You didn't hold the information about the weapons uh, until you had – you didn't bargain your information for Kira. I'm going to remember that. Like, right. he, he has, Cisco, he, 
basically saying he appreciates the fact that Cisco is a straight shooter. He's giving right. him this information without asking for anything in return. Right. Um, back on Deep Space Nine, Lee Nullis in charge because Cisco is not there. They now know that this is coming from the Kasari, but they need to investigate where the Kasari are getting it from. They, with the help of Dax, Lee stalls the Kasari long enough for Odo, who morphs into a rat to get on board. Right. He then. The ship leaves. The ship goes out to where it's doing its uh, secret rendezvous. They rendezvous with who? A Cardassian. A Cardassian who gives the weapons to the Krasari, who's then going to deliver the weapons to the Bajorans. Right. Odo steals a manifest. Uh, manifest that has the thumb scan of the Cardassian on it, brings that back to the station, and he then is telling everybody what he's found. That the, again, the coup in the circle is being funded by the Krasari. At the same time that all this is going on, um, Cisco goes to visit with Kira, and he meets her in the um, monastery. Right. He kind of informs her about what's going on, and, and she's intimated to him that she knows she's had her head kind of buried in the sand for a while, but she needs to get back to work. He's like, you know, she. he says that, I gotta get back to work. She's like, so do I. They leave it there, but when Cisco leaves Kira, Kira is kidnapped. Yes. So then, when Cisco gets back to the station and everybody um, is, you know, being brought up to speed, they realize, forget how they realize that Kira is, they now know that Kira's been kidnapped. Right. When Kira regains consciousness, she's in a cave somewhere and she's confronted by none other than Minister Jaro, right. who reveals that not only is he a part of the circle, in his own words, he I is the, the circle. circle. Yeah. He has been, he has organized this whole thing. He is tired of aliens taking advantage of Bajorans. First it was the Cardassians, then it was the Federation. He's ready for everybody to just leave. And he's like, be on my side. I'll, you love that station so much, I'll give you that station. Just yeah. help me, support me. Right. She refuses. He then starts to interrogate her as to what Cisco would do should the military show up at the station. She won't tell him. He basically says, we've gotten really good at interrogating people. We have ways of making people talk. <laughs> the Cardassians taught us how. <laughs> right. Which basically means they're getting ready to torture her to get right. this information. Um, again, uh, Kira on, on the station, Kira's disappearance is being uh, tossed around by the crew. Odo is not back yet. And so they're waiting on Odo to get back with the information when Quark shows up. And Quark's like, you don't need Odo. You've got me. And, <laughs> you know, he fills him in on the fact that Odo blackmailed him. Um, he was able to use his contacts to find out where they are holding Kira. And then uh, Cisco arranges a, a rescue mission to go and get Kira. Right. Lee Nollis volunteers and um, convinces uh, Cisco to let him go on the mission. Right. So they go. It's Cisco, Bashir, Lee Nullis, and, and two, some random yeah. officers. Right. They find the cave. The plan is to basically just kind of no, no frills, nothing fancy, get in, tag Kira with the communication badge, and that way they can all beam out. O'Brien can beam them out. Right. Hell ensues. They, they they beam down. They start shooting everybody everywhere. <laughs> you know, um, Bashir once again impresses me with his you know desire to just dive right in. Right, <laughs> he's the one that ends up tagging Kira with the security badge. You and know, she's definitely got some torture and, marks yeah, on her face. Yeah, she's, been... she's all beat up, cut yeah. up. She looks kind of gross. Yeah, and uh, so they're able to tag her. Everybody beams up. They make it back to the station. Uh, Bashir fixes up Kira, much to her, you know, trying to fidget and fight to get away. Right. They again now Odo was back. Odo gives the evidence of the thumb scan on the manifest that it's coming from the, um, the Cardassians through the Krasari. Right. And now the plan is we ha they have to somehow get this information to the chamber of ministers right. so that they can take the appropriate action. Yeah. So um, the Cardassians are. Pay, are uh, supplying the circle who don't realize it's the Cardassians yes. supplying them. The Cardassians want to want have... to destabilize the want to destabilize the government so that the Federation has to leave, right? So that they can come back and reoccupy Bajor, right? Cisco contacts Admiral Chakotay to update him as to what's going on. Chakotay tells him basically that um, hey, the the Cardassians may involve themselves in the internal politics of a nation, but the Federation doesn't do that. So right. as far as the Bajorans are concerned, this is a legit 
civil coup on right. their part. Right. So the Federation can't take part no matter what they know. Right. This doesn't sit well with Cisco. Um, Minister Jaro then orders, an, or he basically gives an ultimatum to all non-Bajorans in the system. Y'all have got to get out. He gives them, I think, a, like seven or eight hours to do it. Two um, ships, two fighters ships are coming toward the station. Yeah. The station is now uh, being blocked from all communications with Bajor, so they can't yeah. communicate the information that they found and the evidence that Odo has. And, um, yeah. Yes. And then, so then Cisco, Cisco says, yeah. decides yeah. that, yeah, so then Cisco decides that they will obey, but only to a certain extent. He's going to allow for the evacuation, but he wants it to be a complete evacuation. He talks to O'Brien. They realize that there's no way to do a complete evacuation in the time given. And he's like, well, right. I guess some of us won't be done then. Oh, when they boy. Get here. <laughs> so now the plan is to get as many people that need to be non-essentials off ask for volunteers, whatever that's going to be. But that's essentially the plan is right. that while they somehow figure out a way to get the message to the cha- the council of ministers, there somebody has to stay and occupy the station to slow them down by time. Right. And that's where the episode ends to, to be, be continued, continued. <laughs> into part three that yeah. we'll talk about next week. So the first three parter, Right. We've seen in Trek history, even to yes. date, I don't think they've done a three-parter. Yeah, uh, no, I have to say, I mean, I can imagine that anyone watching this for the first time when it first aired would have had their mind blown. We've had two-parters uh, before. Right. A three-parter? Oh, what yeah, else I, can they do? The number of people <laughs> who must have been pissed, who caught the first one, now were excited at the end of the first part. Yeah. Or had been waiting a whole week to see what was going to happen next. Right. Finally watched it. Got a great bit of action here. And then we're realizing, oh, my God, there's 38 minutes left. There's 38 <laughs> minutes. It's been 38 minutes. There's only four minutes left. How are they going to resolve this in four minutes? And to see that to be continued at the bottom of the screen, I bet you they lost their minds. Oh, yeah. I would have lost, I would have lost my mind for yeah. sure. Yeah. And I probably did. I don't remember my reaction the first time I watched this, but um, again, with this show being my favorite and this episode being one of my favorites, I know that it was just like, I, I have to watch it. I have to watch the next one. So we have to ask then, why is this your favorite episode? Oh, well, normally I ask you that first, but hey, <laughs> I will, I will go first. And it has so many things that I love that I have talked about throughout our show. Now, in particular, if you'll remember, we talked about an episode of The Next Generation in Season 2 called Pen Pals. And it was my favorite episode because what do the actors do in that episode? We see them all gather around in Picard's quarters and they're batting around this moral quandary. And yes. we watch Data expertly manipulate the hell out of everybody in that room. I don't care what anybody says. I will die on that hill. <laughs> Data, Data coerced them to do what he wanted. Right. But, so now flash to this episode. And our opening scene. Kira, not our opening scene, but our next next scene after, after the sister's office, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. is Kira in her quarters and yes. everybody coming in and everybody's different perspective and yes. the overlap, yes, constant back and forth. It was beautiful. I it love that beautiful scene. scene. Oh, it's so good. I mean, it was it was expertly acted. The the way that the characters present them their themselves, like you, I feel like. It's the first time that we actually got to see a full realization of all their characters. Oh, yeah. You know, Odo being so gruff and in your face, and he's driving home his point, right? Right. You've got Dax, who is trying to be, you know, understanding, but she's asking, she's the one who's really asking all the the appropriate questions. Right. Where are you going? Do you want help? Things like that. Dr. Bashir, again, showing off his naivete with everything else that's going on. He, he knows nothing. Yeah. He's asking over and over again, will someone please explain this conversation to me? Yes. He's the, he's the tennis player, you know, the constant back and forth. Right. You know, watching. Looking you know. around confused the right. whole time. Yeah. You have the well-meaning everyman chief who comes in. Yes. He is, you know, he... He's just He's trying been to say forever. Yeah. He understands, you know, seeing your friends go on to other roles and like that. He's not trying to make the situation any worse. Right. He's just trying to be very Starfleet in his whole happy trails. Yes. Right. And then yeah. of course you have Quark, who is he just starts the cherry off seeming, on top. Right, yeah. Right. He starts <laughs> off seeming so he seems so like 
surprisingly generous, and then it's like, nah, I'm here for the sex, man. Just, <laughs> hey, it it's a long great. shot, baby, but hey, yes. Hail Mary's work every now and then. <laughs> Show it, man. Hope springs eternal on Ferenginar. Yes. And he just... He just goes for it. And yes, he is absolutely the cherry on top. The chef's kiss in this scene um, with his entire interaction that he brings to it. And it's almost... uh, I think that might actually be why I don't like Beryl. It might stem from the fact that he's the one that comes in and ends. Interrupts this whole thing. Right. It's such a great... Even when, uh, like, one of my favorite exchanges is when, again, when Quark walks in, he presents the bottle of the Synthale and and Dax is like, what's that? And Kira's like, it's a bottle of my favorite synthel, I think. And he's like, um, he's like, yeah, that is it. And then Oda's like, yeah, it's also very small. Like just that little, <laughs> little bit yeah. between them. It was so great. This is yeah. a fantastic, fantastic scene. And again, those are the ones that just get me. No sciencey gimmicks and sci-fi frills and CGI, which I mean, those have their purpose and yes. are great. Right. But they're to meant watch to the service characters. Right. They're meant to service characters, meant to service scenes like this. Yes. yes. Yeah. This scene is just so perfect. And they again they executed so well. I feel like the anybody watching this scene, you can't not love these characters if you watch scenes like this. Right. They were perfect. Yeah. And I, I've I've watched this many times. I've read about it. I know that this was like a really um I don't want to say a hard scene for them, but there was a lot of intensity here right. because it was it was intentionally written in such a way that it was kind of their homage to um, stage performance. I was going to say, this whole and, scene felt yeah. like a comedy stage performance. Yes. Uh, keep, keep finishing your thought. I want to, I'll yeah. follow up when you're done. Well, so again, uh, the writers knew that a lot of their actors for Deep Space Nine have theatrical backgrounds right and this scene was intentionally written to highlight that yes in this scene every Uh. actor in the scene has a very strong theatrical background with the exception i believe of dax she hasn't she hadn't done as much theater work as the others had right and then of course you know it also highlights the fact that probably the strongest theatrical actor wasn't there cisco (laughs) avery brooks had a he was a very well-established uh, theatrical actor, right. and he was the only one who was missing from the scene. So yeah. I always try to imagine like what that would have been like had he been there and yeah. been talking through things. But considering his role and how everything was needing to play out, it wouldn't have worked. Yeah, I was just gonna say really. he would have yeah. just like Barile showing up. It would have ruined the ruined yeah. that all that overlapping conversation. Yeah, it's yeah, but it was it's beautifully done. It's beautifully acted. Oh yeah, I love it. And I mean, I could almost just go back and just watch it. Like, I don't need to watch the rest of the episode. That scene, yes, is just fantastic. Oh yeah, it's. I, I'll follow up here if you're if you're done. I guess I just mm-hmm. yeah, it's. I was laughing during this scene, and not at the characters with them, like with yes. the writers, because it was a. It's it's a. The fact that you're saying that they intentionally wrote it for, you know, homage homages to um, stages stage plays. Oh my gosh, that's exactly what I was thinking when I was watching this. Like I did some uh, some some theater stuff in college again for fun. And it it soon as I saw this scene, I was like this is exactly that type of uh that fun yeah. interaction. You have every character shows up, like everyone opens that door at the exact same interval as the previous one. It's like yeah. they're intentionally doing this. So as when you're watching it, you're just laughing cuz Oh, here's O'Brien, and he's just here, and he wants to shake her hand, but she's answering a question. And like the the top, the best point of the whole scene is when like all like there are a bunch of questions that were thrown at Kira. Yeah, it's like and three Kira, of them ask questions, in the and she sequence. goes, and then she answers all three real quick, and she's like, "What's going on?" And right, oh no, they haven't. No, they didn't. Yes, they yes, did. I yeah. really have to be packing. I have to right go now. there. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, that was great. And then it, and then again when Cork shows up, that's just when again the cherry on top, like. This whole scene is just meant to show off all these characters interacting together in, as you said it, like, we've fully realized these characters by now. It's season two, um, so we know who they are and how they fit in. And, yeah, you're right. Bashir is, like, trying to figure out what the conversation is. And, like, someone says something, and it's, like, an insult to him. So he's like, what did you say? And then O'Brien tries to shake Kira's hand at one point, and she can't because she's trying to answer questions and trying to pack and... Oh, that was a fantastic scene. So it, good. And then it, it's like, since that was such an early scene, 
in the episode, it um, also kind of highlights how the rest of the episode's going to go in a sense of, and that everybody is just so invested in really figuring this out, not just because it's to stop the coup and the circle and everything else, but stopping this means keeping Kira with them. Right. And I feel like that was kind of like the undercurrent message. It's like, yes, there is obviously a bigger global scale that they're operating on, but how much of this is also they're invested in doing this because Kira's involved and Kira's their friend. Right. You know, Cisco goes to visit her after they just said goodbye on the station. Here right. he is visiting her in the Arbor. He didn't, he didn't have to do that, you know. Right. And as a as a seasoned uh, Starfleet officer, he of all people should be used to officers transitioning out of positions into and out of positions, you know. Uh, easily right so yeah there was just a lot here that showed that there was well a lot of love for kira which as we've already highlighted throughout our last season you know we also have a very fond affection for oh yeah so seeing her go at all would have been like just to you know take our knees out oh yeah it was quite a bombshell at the end of the last episode for Uh, her to be like oh she's going she's been transferred out of here um, yeah, that scene at the beginning where, uh, Cisco is talking with Jero, um, there's definitely some, some, um, undertones of animosity and, um, passive aggressiveness, like, from Cisco toward Jero. Um, like, Jero does it, and you can, you, you sense it by the time this conversation really gets going, is Jero is moving Neat Lee Nollis out of his way back on Bajor. Yeah. And, um... But everything he says about Kira being promoted and this and that, like, Cisco can't quite argue with that, but he does bring, he sa- he says some quote, which I can't remember right now, but he's like some ambassador. There's something, a something. warm breeze blowing through Minikoi. Yeah, exactly. And it's clearly meant to be, like, kind of an insult to Jero. Like, he, he plays it off. He's like, oh, it's just a saying we have on Earth. I he basically says to Jero like I know that you're someone I can't trust like you're right he's yeah. basically letting him know that everything that you're telling me no matter how rational your argument sounds it also sounds hollow there right. is there is more going on here than you're telling me right and uh, I he's letting him know I know that I know that you're holding back and yes. that's another one of those things about Cisco that I love it's like these. He delivers the subtle threat so well. Right. And we see that kind of amped up here on a couple of different uh, scenes. Obviously, this right. first one with Minister Jaro. We also see it later on when he's dealing with the uh, Bajoran general when he beams down to the planet to speak with him. He's kind of just like, you know, I'm letting you guys know what's going on. But also, he tells him, like, I've been monitoring your troop movements. He's basically letting him know, I'm watching you. Right. You know, so uh, the way in which he kind of just is able to like stand there and still be mildly threatening, mildly uh-huh. intimidating. I right. love that about him because you, his tone, everything about him doesn't seem like that's what he's necessarily right. trying to do. Right. But it's there. There's a, there's a, he radiates that strength that I just, yes. I feel like we never really got to see often not that the other captains didn't do it but cisco seems to do it all the time like he never like it never seems like he is not in at least in control of himself yes and aware of the power that he can exude he controls it very well and i love that about him in all of his scenes yeah cisco comes off as like a rock in the middle of a a bed stream and he says to the river if you want to flow this direction you aren't going to move me. Like, I don't know how things might go, but yeah. like, I'm staying right here. Yeah, and come you on. might, I'm still here. And Go I'm ahead. more likely to change the course of this river than you remove me from the riverbed. Um, so be wary what you <laughs> come up against. Yeah. And another, another scene that I love so much in this one is also the, you know, the final part of the, um, goodbye for them. When Kira goes back to ops and runs into Lee, and she's saying her goodbyes to Lee and to Cisco and everything else. And yeah. Cisco, I mean, he almost seems like he's gonna, you know, lose it a little bit with his sadness at losing Kira. You know, like right. he's—they have a friendship, they have a bond now. They've yes. come to really appreciate each other, and he really does appreciate her. Right. And he even says, you know, yeah, I'm, you know. Lee can do the job, but he could never replace you. Right. And I just well, love it's, that. Well, it is Lee Nollis who says that. Lee Nollis is the one who says, I can't replace uh, Kira. But yeah, Cisco agrees, for sure. Sorry. Yeah. Keep going, keep going. 
but yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's just so much of uh, him showing that again he appreciates her, which right. again, considering where they started in season one, the very right. antagonistic part of the relationship, to see that has changed so much between them right. in a short amount of time right. is awesome. Yeah, their yeah, relationship that. had the most change and growth over season yeah. one than any other characters. And to follow that up real quickly, in that scene where in her quarters where everyone shows up, when um, Beryl shows up and she says, he says, who are all these people? And she says, they are my friends. And she, so like there's growth there. And um, yeah, I, I did, I was thinking as I watched that scene where she was walking around um, ops, I was like, this is kind of like, you know, at the end of, TNG when it's like oh this is the end of TNG and like we're going away like just that sense of like the character is feeling like they're moving on we know you know we got you know six more seasons to work with so we know it's not the end but for the character that's what she's feeling so yeah what else do you like about this episode I mean we could just we could just keep going I I love <laughs> the I love Lee Nollis and Dax working together to stall the Krasari ship from leaving so that they could get Odo on board. Right. I love that of all things that Odo can take the shape of, he decides to pick a rat of all <laughs> a things. A human like, rat, I mean, yeah, an earth rat. He could have he been, been anything, and he's right. a rat yeah. on the on the ship. I mean, I I love that, too. I, there's Again, there's just so much of that and going back to the next thing of when they figure out that Kira is being held hostage they mount the rescue and that Bashir charges ahead through all the phaser fire and everything else that's going on <laughs> he's the one that rushes up and tries to pin the uh, combat on Kira right. so that they can beam out again highlighting as we saw in you know season one his intense desire to uh, defend and support and help his friends. Right. You know, when, you know, going back to when Jadzia was being, um, you know, kidnapped that time and he burst through the hallway and threw his whole body into knocking the guy guy. down. You know, I, I just love that. I'm like, those are the redeeming calls. Cause I mean, we did beat up on Julian a lot (laughs) in season one. And I'm glad that we're starting so strong on a positive note for him here in season two. Yeah. You know, he's, and he's also seems to be, Less annoying already, right? In this episode, he actually yeah. does things that makes him a part of stuff. Like even when he was doing the, you know, the conversation, as it will now be called for us, as we refer to it a couple of times here. Even there, where he could have been annoying with his lack of understanding what was going on, he was without a doubt the affable comic relief with that lack of understanding, right? You know, and and uh, O'Brien comes in, he's like, I would just like to ask the question. He's like, Don't worry, Chief, they've all been asked. You know, it's just clearly. I need to go watch that scene again because there's so many parts of it that I can't remember with perfect detail. But yeah, keep going. Sorry. It's no, it's it's fine because that's what this episode inspires. It's so great. There's so many little talking points that you get, and then of course the other one is the the true beginning of my love to hate of Vedic Win. I was gonna say that's the next part, right? Yeah, she where she's. When she comes upon Beryl and Kira in the Arboretum at the yes. monastery. And she's she doesn't like, come upon oh. them. She's on the bridge above them, like, waiting right. for them it's to walk like, by. It's almost like, yeah. Like, yeah. she's been waiting this whole time. She's like, how wonderful to come across such a free exchange. Yeah. You know? and then oh, he's and like, who are you again? I, I think right. I recognize you there. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, what a... And he's like, she's... Kira's come to explore her, her pa, her religion, you know? And he's right. she's like, what a wonderful... Uh, aspiration for someone who's lived such a horrible life of violence. Yes, of like, violence. Yeah. Once again, just yeah. just like you just want to, you just want to push her over the bridge. You yes. know, just oh, knock yeah. it right out. Yeah, and then oh, you can stay as long as you like. A couple, couple days, days or a week, a week even. <laughs> right. Basically, again, she it's that whole backhanded like, oh yes, yeah, stay, but uh, you're on the clock. Right. <laughs> yeah. We don't want you here. Yeah. You know? Exactly. And it's and it's her home. She's a Bajoran there, and their faith is such. It's so widespread and so deeply ingrained in all of them. The monastery is clearly a place that's been open for everyone. Right. And so the fact that she's kind of putting Kira on notice here. Oh yeah, and then she also. 
Well, she also threatens, like, oh, uh, looks like you went to go see the orb. Like, you didn't mm-hmm. ask for permission to do that. And Morale's right. like, look, no one ever really follows through on asking permission. And she's like, well, I always do, even if it's just a courtesy. I just, yeah, she's, I just yeah. give it as a courtesy. Yeah. Nothing more, more nothing, nothing less. less. Yes. It's like, then what does it matter? If yeah. you think of it as a courtesy, shut up. Go <laughs> away. Like, that's what you want to say yeah. to her. Yeah. She's just so smug and we, and since we know obviously that she had planned to well assassinate Barile last season yeah and now here she is just freely walking around talking with the man sneaking yeah. up on him in the arboretum no less yeah you just you just don't like her right you just don't like her so yeah i'm i'm eager to see the next part of the exchange uh, i think everybody is you know but yeah again so many so many great parts we also start season two with a lot of action, right? We get to see the crew go off on an, uh, on a rescue mission. We got right. a firefight. We got Lee Nullis rolling around in the dirt and shooting people on his back. We got Kira getting beat up and tortured and brutalized. We've got a corrupt political leader here and Minister Jaro. So much stuff <laughs> crammed into this episode. No wonder they had to do it as a three-parter because right. it's just... They were they were going for it here yes. to start season two. Yeah, you know, yeah. and it's it's fantastic. Yeah. And I, I I've watched all the other treks, and I don't think there's been any other one that has really kind of jumped right into the action the way that this one is, the way that Deep Space Nine does. There's right. definitely kind of more of a slow build and an eventual, you know, kind of crescendo midway through. Right. Uh, in most of them. Um, but yeah, not like this, nothing, nothing like this. Right. And, um, you know, there was actually an article recently that talked about, uh, the reason that that is, and they've seen it on some of the other shows, like right now with Star Trek, uh, Prodigy, the children's show that's on Nickelodeon, right. um, also found on Paramount Plus, you can watch it. And then also, uh, Lower Decks. And they've been talking about the critical success of these shows and why they seem to be able to get away with so much stuff right Right. and they said these shows are suffering from deep space nine syndrome oh and i was like so that's what you know got me interested in reading i was like oh what's what's deep space (laughs) nine syndrome Uh basically is that when deep space nine was doing its thing running making its episodes and everything else no one was paying attention to it because at the same time you know Next Gen was running. Next Gen also had the movies coming out and things like that. And so it was basically... And then they were also gearing up for Voyager. Voyager was like right around the corner here when this was going on. So basically they were like, because the powers that be were still trying to make a lot of money off of the TNG cast and their movies and were also gearing up to the launch of Voyager and the first female captain and everything else, no one was paying attention to what was going on on Deep Space Nine, right. and the writers were running with it. The writers <laughs> were like, we're just going to do what we can. Right. We're going to see how, how much we can push before somebody notices. Yeah, the higher-ups have no bandwidth to police us, so let's right. get some things out there, yeah. And so that's what the article was saying, is that's why Prodigy and Lower Decks seem to be so successful right now, it's because they're saying the powers that be are distracted by Picard coming back and by... Voy- uh, not Voyager, but uh, Discovery right. running right now. And Discovery is viewed right now as the important show. It is it is the flagship show right now. Right. So everything going on with Discovery is under a lot of intense scrutiny, as are all the other shows that are coming up, not just in development, but now are getting ready to release episodes, right? First episode, Strange New World, things like that. So it's just like these other ones are just kind of like down here in the corner right and the writers have realized no one's really paying them any attention (laughs) and so they're just kind of flinging stuff out to see what happens and it seems to be working right um so i'm like i i'm i'm here i'm riding that train with you until it derails right but i feel like eventually they will circle back right and uh we'll see what happens there but this episode right here and this whole trilogy that we have mm-hmm. really kind of highlights the fact that Deep Space Nine was very different from Next Generation and, and its show yes. run and not just the serialization of a three-parter and like that, but just the way that, I mean, we get to see a crew member, we don't get to see it, but we see a crew member who has been tortured. Yes. You know, we mm-hmm. are seeing a, a commanding officer who is 
about to violate the Prime Directive, even though he has already been in contact with the higher ups in right. um in the, the, in the Starfleet chain, right? Oh, right. It's, yes. It's yeah. not a. It's not a Captain Picard is on the far flung edge of space and has to make a moral decision before right. they get a chance to contact anybody. Cisco preemptively contacted Admiral Chakotay to let him know what was going on, right. was given an, ex- an explicit order as to what he could or could not do, and right. Cisco said basically like, eh, well, your rules are more like guidelines to me. So <laughs> yes. we're going yeah. to play with this. We're going to play right. with this a little bit. We have to get all that Federation equipment off, right? I mean, they didn't say I didn't need to get the information off, but... Uh... Might as well make that little exception to this rule here. So let's take that advantage while we can. Um, yeah. Um, I was going to say uh, that when I was watching this episode, I was thinking when um, it's revealed that uh, Jaro is the leader of the circle. I mean, this this show came out about 10 years before the prequel trilogy for Star Wars. But when Jaro comes out, I was basically having an Emperor Palpatine moment or, or Senator wow. Palpatine moment because anyone who's ever seen the prequel, the Star Wars prequels, you know, that's part of the plot is that Palpatine is actually secretly uh, running the secessionists, I believe is what they are. Mm. And they're the ones who are causing all the violence and, and everything going on. And that's how Palpatine uses that to get power for himself. So Star Trek here actually preemptively used that kind of storyline before Star Wars ever did. Um, so uh, I'm sure all Star Trek fans will use that as a point of uh, why Star Trek is better than Star Wars. Well, I mean, it's one of many points as to why Star <laughs> Trek is better than Star Wars. Right. Um, I think that Star Wars just fails from not necessarily knowing all of its own mythos. So as <laughs> and it's something that we've seen in a lot of, a lot of things that... I don't want to say get rushed to the screen per se, but have such a long time that languish in development. You know, you right. kind of forget where you were in the beginning. We, you know, we've also kind of touched on this and we've talked about, you know, Game of Thrones. Game mm-hmm. of Thrones, I feel like, fails in the end because of the same reason. You know, yeah. Oh, they, yeah. they yeah. kind of forgot where they started and right. for, kind of forgot their source material. And that's why they started to struggle there. So, right. um, now the thing about Star Trek is, and I think the beauty of why Star Trek continues to work is because a lot of the source material was only ever on screen and it's easier to reference right now yes star trek in its own you know in the 55 plus years of existence has retconned a lot of things and while there are people who will get upset about all of the retconning there is precedent numerous times for this happening in trek okay like for example um and I, I don't know if you've... You haven't watched Star Trek Discovery. Have no, you? I have not. All right. All right. But, uh, okay, mild spoiler. Ruin it for me. <laughs> yes. Mild spoiler for you. The main captain on Star Trek Discovery, Captain Michael Burnham, is a uh, the, the adoptive sister of Spock. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. And so, of course, when this was revealed in season two of Discovery, everybody was just... Up in arms. Oh, that can't happen. We would have heard about Spock's sister a long time ago. Blah, blah, blah. Like, all this stuff, right? But. But. Right. As they found out, as as was discussed numerous times, Spock was notorious for not telling people about his family life. Right. his personal life. Right. And, you know, in one of the original episodes of from the original series, you right. know, when when Kirk gets the opportunity to meet ambassador sarek and his wife right amanda no one knows that the ambassador and his wife are actually spock's parents <laughs> until, he, until he walks on and so like he's like and the scene is basically you know the the ambassador and his wife come on right and they do their standard greeting and everything like that and then you know they're getting ready to leave getting ready to leave vulcan and kirk turns to spock and he says you know there's still time you can beam down to the planet and visit with your parents if you want to before right. we leave right and it's like just dead silent in the room, and everybody's kind of like doing that nervous, awkward shuffling, you know? Right. And he's like, um, these are my parents. <laughs> and they're like, this guy right here is your dad? You know, like, everybody's kind of 
flips out, you know. And so that was like the that was like the first time. Right. But then later on, it happens again. There's this Vulcan who tries to take over a planet. Then he takes over the Enterprise, and everybody's like, "Who is this guy? Like, where did he come from?" And he's like, "Oh, that's my brother, right, Cyborg." And Kirk's like, "What do you mean he's your brother?" And he's, and he's like, "Yeah, he's my brother. He's also a son of Sarek." And then it's like, "Oh, we realized that Sarek had been married years before he married Spock's mother. Right? She had died in childbirth, and then the son had gone off to do his own little thing or whatever. And so this had gone on for like years. This is like flash forward like twenty plus years. Right? Right? right. They're all old now." And he's like, what do you mean you have a brother? We've known you for literally decades. You've right. never once mentioned that you had a brother. He's like, well, technically you're correct. And he's like, yeah, see? And Kirk's like, yeah, see? <laughs> see? Even he admits. And he's like, well, I have a half-brother. To which Kirk's like, I got to sit down. And he just has a seat, you know? And so, again, there was like, it's clear that Spock does not tell everything. Right? right. So the fact that he had an adoptive sister who came to, you know, she came to live with him when her parents were killed, whatever. Um, you know, so yeah, they were raised together. Right. He just never mentioned her. Right. And so I was like, that that would never happen. I was like, uh, he's done it twice. He's not talked about his family <laughs> two very important times. He's not talked about. Kirk that. would so, just be saying, "This is the third time's the charm." <laughs> right. If, if Kirk, yeah, if Kirk was in the scene, you know, Kirk would have been like, "Oh, here we go with this again. This guy not." <laughs> Uh, telling me stuff, you know, that's yeah. that's would have been his reaction. So, right. yeah, I mean, Star Trek, they do it a lot and they right. do it not just with minimal things, but also clearly with very major things. Right. So, yeah, that's why I think that Star Trek gets away with it more or can get away with it more than Star Wars. Ever. Right. Gotcha. OK. All right. Well, I just want to say that I thought it was um, I mean, like I said last time that I thought um that uh, Minister Jaro looked like a someone that could be kind of a villain, especially because he's played by Frank Langella, who, as I said last time, definitely can play that kind of creepy, manipulative character really well. He has a great face for it for some reason. Um, so yeah, so when he turned out to be the leader of the circle, I mean, I hadn't predicted that, but as soon as it happened, I was like, okay, that makes sense. Like, it, mm. it works. And then at the end of the episode... Turns out um, he's trying to basically court uh, Wynn, uh, Vedic Wynn, not in a romantic way per se. I mean, kind of that way, but really for her power. Like, it's, it's two people actually courting each other for the power they could both use on their behalf. And they basically pledge to use their influence on behalf of each other. Um, you know, Wynn will get a new follower in Jaro. And then he'll be the new leader of the Bajoran, so her sect will get more prominence. Um, so it works out for both of them. Um, and it was a great little cliffhanger for the end of the episode because um, it's right before you know Cisco says, you know, we have to leave. But um, for their for their end of the story, you know, they're the two villains that we've been dealing with, and it's actually kind of great because at the end of season one, we had the religious villain in you know, win, and now we have the political villain in Jaro, and so we have these two that are now paired up. Like, we've got a, we're, our, our... The meeting of the villainous minds. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, it's a great kind of cliffhanger from that end for the, you know, basically this, this, this three-part episode should have actually kind of been part of last season, in a sense. It should have been, like, the, this, this last episode, this part three, whenever we, you know, we'll get to it next week, but, like, that as a finale for season one would have been even now the... I would I I see what you're saying right I love the fact this is how they started off season two I guess I'm just, just I'm just saying that like this feels like the the culmination of storylines yeah. that usually happen at the finale of a season and well, doing and it at the beginning it, of this one so and it also highlights something that had not really been done in Star Trek before you know, we we've seen the two-parter bridge where season one ends with a cliffhanger, and then season two is basically the resolution. Right now, we you're right because the way that the season one ends and how it relates into season two and plays out, you could really say this is a part three, four-part like a mini-series. That's what I'm saying. You know, yeah. the way that this the way that these blocked out, but it's just right. that yeah, they kind of ended that there. Um, and again, they they've never done that before. 
Right. And they've never done it since. There has not been any other Trek show that has had such a sequential. And it works perfectly, part. too, because in um, the finale of season one, the whole idea was that the Bajorans were on a religious angle wanting to, you know, object to the non-Bajorans. You know, like, we're not going to go to your school anymore. Um, mm-hmm. We have to take our religious faith or our faith more seriously. So that ties in perfectly to well now we also say that you guys have to literally vacate it's not that we're gonna you know remove ourselves from your school it's no you have to leave we're taking back our station our planet um everything so yeah this is actually part three of four (laughs) from that angle and it just goes back to also highlight what we talked about towards the end of season one as well with the fact that there is this rampant paranoia and this xenophobia that has cropped up in these religious people. Right. And this is stemming from the fact that, you know, they had this history of intense subjugation and oppression. Right. And they are deeply concerned that this is what's going to happen to them again from Starfleet and the Federation. Right. You know, and it's since we never got to see the beginning of the occupation with the Cardassians, the fear that the Bajorans have, it you have to wonder if it's because they're seeing parallels that we, you know, as the audience didn't get to see. And that's did the Cardassians when they first moved in, did they say they were there to help the Bajorans? Were they yeah. trying to establish them as a cultural hub or whatever? We knew that the Bajorans were already kind of they were fairly advanced to a certain point before the Cardassians showed up. Right. But we definitely know that the Cardassians had a very particular bent against him as well. So, well, I actually I want to follow up real quickly because Jaro yeah. at one point when he's trying to convince Kira to help him, he says that the Bajorans once had art and architecture across uh, dozens of planets. Yes. Um, so on some level, the Bajorans used to be a successful, you know, yes. multi-planet society before the Cardassian occupation. So yeah, yeah. Whatever yes, the situ- yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Keep yeah. Going. Well, no, I mean, that's what, that's what we're finding out is that the Bajoran people were obviously highly intelligent and proficient in their own right, right long before the, the the Cardassians ever showed up. Right. And so, again, it makes you wonder, since they have such an intense dislike of just aliens in general, and obviously the Federation and the way the Federation kind of moved in, I'm, it makes you wonder if the Cardassians didn't present themselves in the same way. Right. You have a technologically advanced species here that they were trying to overcome right and so maybe they thought they would kind of just kill them with kindness until they could just kill them right and so they established themselves got a foothold onto bajoran territory and then just systematically were like more and more brutal until finally the bajorans are basically a beaten down slave class right for them for 50 years right until they finally threw off the yoke of oppression as it were (laughs) right so um you know, again, that return to, not the return, but I guess the establishment of the xenophobia, it, again, it made me think, made me wonder, is that why people like Jaro are so fearful of people like Cisco and the Federation? Because they sound so similar right. to their former oppressors when they first got started. Right. And, um, you know, as much as Cisco is trying to convince people that they're not, you know, and they're not the Bajorans, they have a long history of being lied to by Alien races. Yes. So I'm not saying that their xenophobia is understandable, but Mm -hmm. it could certainly be excused when you think about the very real history they have of being raped, beaten, murdered for generations. Right. You know? So, yeah, there's a lot that goes on there that, um, you know, the psychological effects of of that in, in a whole people, a whole planet. Right having that fear instilled in them, I couldn't imagine. So I'm not trying to excuse Jaro, because, I mean, he also goes off and tortures Kira and all the rest of it. But I'm at least saying that we can kind of understand the mindset that he was uh, operating under. Well, it's it's important you say all that, because, again, that scene where uh, Sisko meets um, the Bajoran general, Krim, Krim says to Sisko, hey, you know, I just noticed that you didn't try, you know, leveraging your information in order to get mm-hmm. something you wanted. You were a straight shooter. Um, so Cisco is proving in and of himself that he is reliable. Um, we have a sense that it might be a little too little, a little, a little, uh, almost too, too little, little too late. late. Gosh, can't get that out. Um, 
but yeah, so that um, that's really important. And then I also want to go back quickly to talking about uh, uh, um, Jaro because um, Jaro says to Kira, like, "Hey, like I've been hearing all this rumors about you having trouble with the Federation. Like you, you seem to be on my side of things. Like why are you playing coy? Why are you like?" I would imagine, like, he fully expects that she's on his team. Um, I mean, in some ways, his biggest fault was, like, he didn't come to her more openly earlier. But, like, yeah. if he had come to her, like, it literally at the beginning of, you know, season one's finale, before all the religious stuff had gone on, and said, hey, um, we have a, a a resistance movement within the government. We're trying to, you know, fix the government. He might have been able to persuade her to join his team, and ultimately he wouldn't have because you know, uh, Kira was trying to make sure things worked out for the Bajoran government as it yeah. is. But if he had come to her earlier, I mean, he literally kidnaps her to try and convince her to, to give up information. It's like, uh, no, <laughs> Kira, if you met Kira, she's hard headed as anyone. And, uh, forcing her to do something is the number one way to make her, sh make sure that she doesn't oh, yeah. do that thing. <laughs> Which is probably one of the things that made her, you know, endear her a bit to Cisco and get her to trust him a little bit more. You know, because Cisco, he never attempts to force her to do anything. Right. He talks to her and he lets her know kind of his way of thinking. And really, he's just like, beyond you following the chain of command, right. I'm never going to try to make you do stuff. Right. You know, like, yes, you have to follow the chain of command just like anybody else does. And right. Cisco does guard the chain of command. He holds that very, you know, very near and dear. That's very important to him. Right. But other than that, like, he doesn't try to do, he doesn't try to force her to do anything. He doesn't try to, like, make her say, you know, it's a Federation way or no way. You know, he's very open and communicates with her. And we, again, saw that when she went to go and rescue Lee Nolls in the first place. Right. And, you know, she was trying to get that runabout from him. And, again, he's just kind of just like, you know, I, I need to know these things. And I'm trying to get you to see. I'm not just saying no to you or anything like that. Right. I'm trying to be considerate. It, but we need to operate again within the rules right you know and that's kind of my job here is to make sure that things are done by the rules done by yeah. the book and actually i i like you point that out because um when kira at the beginning of this episode is having to pack her stuff it's not clear whether or not she's being punished for her role with Linalis or if she's being rewarded like you know jaro is saying that it's a promotion a promotion to the you know, the foreign office desk somewhere. So she's being thrown into some back room somewhere. Mm. Um, so is it really a promotion or is it getting rid of her? I mean, it, obviously it's getting rid of her, but it's being talked about like a promotion. Um, so yeah. And um, ah, yeah, I can't wait to find out how the finale of this little threesome, this little threesome <laughs> episode goes. Well, you, like anyone else who hasn't watched it, will need to stay tuned. And if you haven't <laughs> watched it, Go watch it. In fact, I would say go back and watch the end of season one and yes. then go watch uh, this these, part of season two, these, yes. these three episodes of the first right. part of season two. They're, they're really engaging. It's a lot of fun. It also is going to show you how, you know, serialization or I guess you should say more the continuation of storyline yes. really began to shape um, – both Deep Space Nine and really the future of Star Trek, because the success of these episodes was such that it really did set up a lot of things that we're going to end up seeing in the show down the road. And not only with this show, but also in how they treat a lot of the other shows that have come after it. Right. You know, uh, Discovery, if you're watching Discovery at all, you will see serialization plays heavily into it. Picard is basically just a never ending episode. Right. Like the whole show. Is right. they're kind of setting it up to be that way. Right. So, uh, and I didn't realize that until I actually went back and began my rewatch, and I've now picked up clues, Easter eggs <laughs> that I've now seen in the trailer for season two to realize oh. they were setting this up in episode one gotcha. of Picard. They were setting up already season two. Right. So, yeah, there's a lot to be said for for serialization and we're just now getting into it and i really hope that the new shows that have not aired yet don't forget this right and continue to build upon it because obviously it's where star trek shines when they can really get the actors to dive into their characters and play them in for prolonged parts not having to hit that reset every week right is definitely where this show shines but right. 
we'll have to get into that another time because right. David unfortunately it is time for us to go. Well, before we do, I just want to quickly say there was one little thing I really liked about this episode, and that was when Cork was in ops, and he's trying at the very end of that scene to get Cisco to like reward him for bringing in this information, <laughs> and yes. the camera is on the elevator, so we get it from Cisco's point of view. The elevator starts going down, and Cork yells out after them, like, I want payment for this information. And it we was. We discuss compensation at another time. That's exactly the line. That's it. Oh, it was such a great little moment. I had to say yeah. it. I, as soon as that happened, I laughed. I was like, I have to mention it. So, but yeah, last thing if we have to go, I'm here to. I'm, I'm happy to stick around for however much longer, but. Well, we can't because yeah. we, have, we have time constraints. <laughs> and. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could probably do more. I, I mean, I almost want to be like we should have just watched all of it and then done one big long one. one long, but yeah, it, no, it would have been long. It would have been really well, long. Well, it's not even that long. though. I like having, for me personally, just like the anticipation of what I'm what glad the next season, I'm the next glad. episode so, will be. <laughs> so next week we'll be finishing this out. And uh, we will not only talk about that episode uh, next week, but we'll also, I guess, kind of do a bit of a recap to be like, you know, how we track the story and thoughts, feelings on where characters stand at the end right. of this. Because, you know, there are some changes that happen. So uh, lots to look forward to on right. our next episode. Yes. But we must end as all good things must. So... With that, guys, I would just say, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Spotify, anywhere that you can listen to the podcast. We are The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I happen to listen to us um, on Spotify, so find us there. And as always, you can tune in on uh, Twitter, where we answer questions, or we make various observations, or talk about the episodes, or other people. Whatever it is that strikes our fancy at that time, but we always have, we always have a good time with it. So come join us, and... Um, Talk to us there. Other than that, guys, take care of yourselves, and we will see you next week. Thanks, guys.